Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Kramer Bros podcast. Man, we're going to try to be a little bit of a light in the darkness here, dude. We would be enjoying the Sweet 16 this weekend um, if things were were going as normally planned. So the basketball conversations are not going to stop. Just uh, having to get a little bit creative because the new content isn't coming in. Today, we're going we're gonna to go back and rehash this Michigan State Spartan season. And then we are going to share our top five favorite players. So not the top players necessarily, but the ones that we've enjoyed watching the most. And then try to give Cassius Winston a special send off here as well as his career is, um, has ended abruptly, but it has. So big bro, welcome back. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling my wife yesterday, I was just kind of shaking my head. I was like, I can't believe there's not basketball on it. Um, this is, unbelievable but um there's more important things going on right now you know got to stay stay healthy um to all those that are in the healthcare field especially you know thinking of you praying for you appreciate you guys and um with that said we're excited to talk spartan basketball so today how would you you know kind of summarize the michigan state basketball season a roller coaster in every sense of the word, man, it was, you know, you start out feeling really good. I, I took no issue with the preseason number one ranking. I thought it was fair. I was on the hype train 1000%. And then we got a bit of a slow start. We weren't beating the good teams that we were matched up against. So the Kansases and the Kentuckys, things like that, which is normal, I guess, for most seasons. It takes us a while to get our footing. So I wasn't too worked up. Uh, but then we had those late season lulls, obviously the stuff with Cassius Winston's brother happened, which when you spend as much time, uh, like someone like me watching the team, you can tell it affected the entire team. Now, if you're an outsider looking in and maybe you only watch him every once in a while, you might not realize what that, what that can do to a team. Um, but with the family environment that Michigan State fosters, that that really messed with the players, and particularly Cassius Winston and Izzo. So there was a lot of things to to work through there. Cassius was, wasn't playing it up to his normal standards, looked like his head wasn't in a lot of those games the way that it used to be, and that's understandable. But there was even some lulls later in the season. So we had a three-game three, three game losing streak, I think, in February, which is – that's a little bit late to be having those losing streaks. And then right on cue, things start to really come together. We make that incredible run at the end of the season to get a share of the big 10 title. Cassius is doing all the things that he looked or that he was able to do last year, which is make plays at the end of shot clocks at the end of games and become that player that you, that you saw the previous year where you completely trusted him in every moment of the game. And we were missing that earlier in the season. And to make that awesome run, and I'm not sure if we would have won the Big Ten tournament or not, but I was feeling I was feeling great going into the NCAA tournament. I didn't really care what seating we got. I was feeling really, really good. And I probably would have put Michigan State down to win the whole thing out of my bracket. That's for sure. Yeah, I think pretty much every year I put Michigan State down to win my when my bracket. Oh, that should be sad, I suppose. Yeah. Of how they're playing. Um, but 
roller coaster is the best way to put it. Um, but in, you know, first off, you know, only that team knows the weight that they were carrying because of what happened to Cassius's brother. And um, it can be understated, you know, it, it can be understated as far as looking back. If you remember this final year of Winston's career, this specific Spartan team, you can't just brush over that. And um, there's no doubt that there were games where you would watch and you just kind of, you know, sometimes times you just see something in people's eyes. And um, when things are competitive, many times in sports, a lot of times you can look in somebody's eyes and you see the competitive fire burning when it may not be there when you're sitting around having dinner. And I'm speaking a lot about you guys, my family, we're pretty competitive. Um, but then there were times watching the team play, as you said, with Winston, with Izzo, where you're like, they just, they're not locked in competitively, um, focus-wise, everything. Not to say they weren't competing and playing hard, you know they were. You know they always were. Um, but it was different, different this year. And you never wish that on anybody. Um, but again, in typical Izzo fashion, as you mentioned, they won their last five games. The last four of those five were ranked opponents. I mean, four straight ranked opponents and they knock them out, including a top 10 win against Maryland at Maryland, um, avenging a previous season loss at home to them. And just like that, you're like, wow, I am super excited for the big 10 tournament and March madness. I don't know how you feel. I'd like to hear your thoughts, but you have the, the regular season, tied in with the Big Ten regular season. Then you have the Big Ten tournament, and then you have March Madness. Order of importance, obviously, I wanted to make a run in the national tournament, but I'm not, like, huge about the Big Ten tournament. I wanted to win, but if I had to pick, somebody said they're only going to win one or the other, I want them to win the league title. How do you... How do you kind of feel about those two things? Yeah, I I feel exactly the same way. <clears throat> when you're stacking one up against the other, you know, you have the the league title, which is requiring like longer, higher levels of play over um, a longer period of time. And you need to remain pretty consistent. Like this year was pretty crazy because I think it was five losses got you a share of the Big Ten title. That's quite a few losses. Um, so for me, it's always that more of that sustained excellence over the grind of a regular season. That's more impressive. And the big 10 tournament, it's fun because you can have some fluky things happening. We as Michigan or Michigan state fans that are listening to this podcast, typically as has been the trend, our, um, our place in the national tournament has already been set largely by the time we go into the big 10 tournament. So we're lacking maybe some of the excitement or the need to win games, like maybe a Penn state or an Illinois or whatever an Indiana might need. 
So that it just looks different for us as fans. Um, it's still fun, but then I'll be darned if we don't end up winning that thing quite often, Michigan and Michigan state. So uh, they value it, obviously. Yeah. I was talking to my friend, Greg, who got his uh, master's at MSU and he, he was with the MSU program for two years. And, um, I asked him about that and he's like, you know, I obviously you want to win everything. And he's like, but I think if you had to pick one, which is really maybe how you decide if you had to pick one or the other, like, I think we'd pick the league season because as you mentioned, it's, it's an embodiment of months of work being the best compared to getting hot for three, four, five games, whatever it may be. So it's a little more realistic of actually how good you were throughout that, throughout that season. Yeah, definitely. Um, is it time for, for us to get into our favorite players or did you have more you wanted to say on this current team? I loved this team. I got more to say, I guess. Yeah, please do. Last year's team was one of my favorite teams of all time. I just felt like I had a major connection because there was a couple of those seniors. So you had Matt McQuaid and Kenny Goins that you'd watched over years and years. So Matt McQuaid from hitting huge threes as a freshman against Kansas to now being like one of the, the premier big 10 defenders uh, on the perimeter is just like, it was cool to just be a part of that. And then I was able to, I was able to watch their league clinching win against Michigan in person. And that was just awesome. Watching Tillman switch out on Simpson and keeping him out of the lane and blocking his shot numerous times. It was just like memories that, that I'll always have. So that team was special. This team I really liked because the one thing that needs to be said is whether you're a fan of Izzo's approach or not, and there's parts of his coaching that I'm not a fan of. I think that there are certain ways he conducts himself that don't have to be at the level that he does it. But I I think that he is a good person and I know that his players respect and respond to that most of the time. And he keeps his locker room open to the, to the press, which like no coaches do that in the college game. And that's why you can get a good feel for what a team is going through. You can really embed yourself in the, the ups and downs of the season because you hear how it's going from them. Like you get direct quotes from the players. Reporters are in the locker room being able to talk to him. He doesn't, he doesn't edit what his players are saying, really. I'm sure there's some ground rules like, you know, don't, don't say anything that's supposed to stay in-house. But um, I've always appreciated that because I feel like I can really get to know these teams because you're watching them play and then you're hearing what they have to say as players afterwards. I love this team. It will go down as one of my favorite teams despite being able to not watch them in the tournament this year. Yeah, last season and this season were two of my favorite Michigan State teams. Um, as you mentioned, it's not just, you know, Winston who wound up being our favorite player, um, but all, all the other important pieces that they had. And um, like most Michigan State teams, but this one, you know, they had kind of a real sense of, of brotherhood about them that you could see even through the TV screen, which was really cool. And national title-wise, listen, it was anybody's, anybody's game. There were probably 20 teams, give or take, 
that had a legit chance to win the national title. There were some teams that I would, you know, say had a better chance than Michigan State to do it, but Michigan State would easily be in that 20 range of teams that had a legit shot to win it all. And as I've always said, when you have the best point guard in the country, you have a really, really good chance of being successful. And they had Cassius Winston, and he looked like, as you mentioned as well, he was rounding into form, right? There was a highs and lows throughout the season, which is why, you know, he's voted second team All-American instead of first team this year. Um, but if you were to take the last three weeks or two weeks of the season, that's, that's the best point guard in the country as far as how he was playing right at the time that you, that you want him doing that. So they had as good a shot as anybody, you know, they're not going to be the favorite necessarily, but they had as good a shot as anybody to make a deep run in March as usual. Definitely. Let's get to our players, man. Top five favorite players of ours to watch all time. So you had said, you know, obviously Magic Johnson, the time he had a Spartan jersey on, neither of us were alive. So is he off of our our list of options then? It's just people we've watched. So Magic is off. So this this list is not our top, necessarily our top five best players. It's our top five favorite players that we've watched while we were watching big fans of Michigan State Spartan basketball. All right, that's the criteria for this list. That's it. All right. Easy enough, man. Do you want to... Then we're going to talk after this about the biggest what if, right? It's kind of our last... The biggest what if. um, And and we'll obviously talk a little bit more about Cassius as well as we get down because I think he's probably going to be our number one big surprise. Um, But let's start at five. Okay. So, go ahead. All right. It's actually harder picking these... um, these four and five, then it's going to be picking one and two, I think. So I'm scrolling through my list of players here. And I think number five, it might be Shannon Brown. He was playing at a time. mm -hmm. I was just really, he was playing at, I think, yeah, from 2003 to 2006, high flyer, one of the premier athletes Ever. ever, ever. Um, I loved watching him play, particularly when he was uh, alongside Maurice Ager. And Mm. you would just see them running the fast break together. And it was kind of like whoever was in the middle as that point guard could pick their poison. Like, which side of the rim do you want to throw it to? And one of those guys was going to go up to get it. I, I loved watching him play. I thought he'd have a much better pro career. I mean, he carved out a, a bit of a role for himself, but um, as far as entertainment value, that's what got him in my top five. Entertainment value, one of probably the best Michigan State dunker that I ever remember watching. Um, he had flair, but at the same time, the power and the ability, like he was just going to dunk on top of you. Um, he had the total package as far as a dunker. Phenomenal. He was, he was close to my top five. But. Was he? All right. All right. So here's my five. Okay. Get ready. Mo Ager, 
All right. Mo Pete, Drew Neitzel, Matt McQuay, Draymond Green, and Tillman. That's my top five, and they're only number five. So I got four more. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So I put six guys as my number five. I know that's cheating, but I just couldn't decide. I just couldn't decide. So I'd say just a short something about all of them, okay? All right. Mo Ager was one of the smoothest dudes I remember watching. When I watched him play, I'm just like, that's fun to watch. I I wouldn't pay to watch anybody play, but I'd pay to watch him play. Just so smooth. And then obviously really athletic as well. My other number five, Mo Pete. Morris Peterson, really nice NBA career, right? Won the national title with the team Cleves. And he was that, that three-point sniper, pull up, and then nearly every single game, the team Cleves would throw the backdoor alley-oop, and all of a sudden he would just rise up and, and cram it. And you're like, man, that was, that was awesome. Drew Neitzel, okay? How can you not like Drew Neitzel, right? doesn't look like he should be out there with everybody else. Right. (laughs) And he was one of those guys where if he heated up for two or three minutes, he could completely change the game. And uh, so that was really, really uh, cool to watch him play extremely quick release, but he wasn't just a shooter. A lot of times they put him off ball just because he was such a great shooter but he had phenomenal ball handling skills and phenomenal passing skills. He was a complete point guard and he played the role of the team that they needed. And uh, with that specific team, they had some other ball handlers so they could kind of put him at the two, run him around a million screens, knock down threes. Um, He'd be successful on any team. Matt McQuaid, as you, as you mentioned, came in as Kind of a, a good size. I don't, was he six five? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, good size can shoot the rock, um, but turned into their lockdown defender. I never saw that coming. Yeah. And, and the thing about McQuaid is his heart, his intensity, the fire that he played with in order to be able to play at that level. You could tell, like when he was playing, you know how hard he was working out there. And I always appreciated that. Like he was a guy I literally just appreciated playing. And can uh, we, can we, can we mention his dunk against Duke and that upset win last year on the fast break he, and just crams it on yeah, the dude? Yeah. And was that an and one? Cause I thought it should have been. I can't remember if, no, I think Tillman's might've been an and one because Tillman also had a dunk that he may have traveled on, on the fast break. <laughs> but I think um, McQuaid's should have been and one. It should have been too. That, that summarizes McQuaid, though, is that, yeah. you know, yeah. he's not going to make that play every game, but he's going to squeeze a little bit extra out for the moment. And mm-hmm. that was what that was, dude. Yep, yep. And then, uh, so my other number five, Draymond Green, okay? Not a huge fan, honestly, of some of his antics at the NBA level. See NBA finals and quite a handful of other things. But if we're just talking Michigan State, Spartan, Draymond Green, I really enjoyed how he was a point forward, guy who could play great defense, get the rebound, and then run the break, set up the offense 
Um, he had a nice, nice kind of mid-range three-point shot when he was a college player as well. Total package. And then one of your guys that you've always been a big fan of, I don't know if he's going to be in your top five, is Tillman. Just, you know, he's a workhorse. And I feel like he got, in many ways, the most out of his abilities. You know, I didn't feel like he was – there's different levels of God-given talent. He obviously has quite a bit. But he's not at that level of, you know, some of the bigs from Kentucky, Kansas, Duke. But his ability to, in many ways, kind of play above his talent level. And nobody played with more heart. There might be people who play with just as much heart, but nobody played with more heart and desire and fire inside of them than, than Tillman. And he was a perfect combination for Winston to play with. So that's my top five. My five, number five. Your my, top that's, five of five. That, that's my that's six. It's six, but that's my fifth favorite player in Michigan State. Those were my six All right, right there. All right. My list is changing by the second here, so I need to just start talking so that it doesn't switch again. Um, so I'm at number four, and I might do a little bit of a, a combo here as well, since apparently that's on the plate, on the table. Um, Same goes. Okay. So my number four is Drew Neitzel and Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. Now I'll talk about Drew Neitzel first. He was coming on the scene. He played there from 2004 to 2008. So he's right around your age. And I remember yep. hearing, I never got to watch him play in high school, but I think you did, right? No, I played against him. You played against him in some summer leagues and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. I thought that you had gone to some of his high school games. Um, because he was on the west side of the state when you were. Um, he was, but for whatever reason, I I didn't go to any of those games. Okay. So I remember hearing about him, and he was going to be coming into Michigan State, and the guy was ambidextrous. Ambidextrous in the sense of he could shoot threes with either hand is the the, the legendary stories that I've heard is that he would pull with either hand in high school. So I always thought that was interesting. But then when he came on the scene at Michigan state, like you said, he was just, your eyes were drawn to him because he looked like he didn't necessarily belong out there. He wasn't super big, wasn't super fast, but he could get where he wanted to go with his smooth handle. And uh, he was comfortable with either hand. But another reason why he's one of my favorite players is because he had that kind of off the head side of the head running bank shot. So do you remember when he would go on the fast break and he wouldn't like try to get right to the square? He would actually stay like a little bit further, like almost outside the lane and just run straight out of bounds while he shot it off the side of his head. So it wasn't going to get blocked. And I remember one summer you and I were working out and we were just working on that shot like a little bit every day with either hand. And it was so fun because a it's just fun to get workouts like that um in with you but then also we practiced them so much that it became a real shot like in my arsenal and so you would go pull that out and open gym and like you're expecting most people to just try to get to the rim as easy as they can and so most people are stopping that and then when you have a player who's instead taking this shot like that that shot doesn't really exist a whole lot for most people so defenders weren't familiar with it That was fun. That was fun to pull that out because people didn't know what to do with it. Um, 
And then very few people have that shot in their, in their bag. And, um, that was a shot that I worked on a lot. And, um, you know, as you said, Drew Knights was about my age. So I learned that shot from a coach, uh, Jack Mannon. And he, he told me when I was younger, he's like, Steve, if you can get this shot down, he's like, the defense isn't going to be able to stop you as far as they think you're going to the basket. You're really just going out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And then if you can kind of running hook, run, shooter, that runner off the glass while your momentum's taking it to the baseline, you're going to be in really, really good shape. And so I, I practiced it. And then as you mentioned, Knightsel used it all the time. I never got, you know, the ability to shoot with either hand. So I, I would only do it going right. So if I beat my guy to the right, like you would, um, that was, that was a great shot for me. And I never used it in college really. Um, probably because I was afraid my coach was going to bench me if I shot it. Um, but in overseas, I used it a ton. I used it. That shot was super, super helpful, especially over there because a lot of guys are going to block my shot if I went all the way to the basket anyway. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of good memories associated with watching him and then um, using some of his moves. And then number four is going to be Draymond Green. Um, you know, I haven't, been a, a huge fan of his in the NBA either. I was early because he was a dog and he was looking to carve out a place. Then after maybe a second max contract, he's uh, a little bit different. But um, in college, he was really fun to watch because he was chubby Draymond. And he was doing <laughs> things that you didn't really expect that he should be able to do. So when we're matched up against the Blue Blood programs, and we're rolling out Draymond Green, and he's getting 10 to 15 rebounds in a game like that, I just remember thinking, like, this is awesome, man, and this is motivating because you you don't have to be as limited by your physical skills as what some people would think. Now, he is athletic. Like, he's a quick jumper. He's got long arms. He's very strong. So, you know, he has some of those physical tools, but I just remember watching him and just being so impressed with like his IQ, his ability to pass the ball. Like you said, he was a point forward. And then by his last year, he had developed a three-point shot. So that just opened up like even more things. And then when he would hit a three, it's much the same as he reacts now when he hits a three, which is just letting everybody know about it. <laughs> and I loved that even at that age, he was getting under people's skin, including Izzo, and, and it was just, it was awesome. And he got national player of the year, I think. Yeah. Um, his last year. So that throws him on my list. The other thing that I also love when you, you look at um, a player like that, Izzo wasn't really recruiting him that hard out of high school. He didn't recruit him like hardly at all. He was Wasn't going he to like Kentucky. 300 pounds? Yeah, he was out of shape. You know, obviously really talented, but... Who you know, Izzo probably didn't think he could cut it at Michigan State, and he was he was uh, committed to Kentucky when Tubby Smith was a coach. That's right. Tubby, Tubby Smith, Smith got Tubby Smith got fired, and Draymond was kind of like, "All right, do I continue to go to Kentucky or what's the plan here?" And Tubby Smith, being really good friends with Izzo, called Izzo and was like, "Listen, you have to pick this guy up." So Izzo took a flight risk on him, not really recruiting him himself, and listened to his buddy Tubby. And wouldn't you know it, he turns into a national player of the year and all American. So it's pretty, uh, a pretty cool start to that story. 
it's an amazing transformation that he made from high school player to college player. And then just what's happened with him at the NBA level. It's, you can't write something like that. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, anything more you wanted about your, your number four? That's it, man. So friends, people, listeners, I got one, one person for each of my next four. So don't worry. I'm not listing off like 30 Michigan state players. My number four is Denzel Valentine. Denzel Valentine, mm-hmm. smooth operator, baby. Ooh, he was smooth. Okay. A lot like Draymond Green. All right. But a little bit more of a handle. He kind of shot it kind of a little, you know, kind of a unique release. I mean, it wasn't like he had a, a, a bad shot, but he, he shot it a little bit differently. Um, he was a guy who he had a, a flair about him, especially when it came to passing. He loved to pass the ball. And I loved watching players that, although they had great scoring ability, they could, they could pass the ball and they could handle the ball. And they were that trifecta of just being really, really hard to guard. And again, he was tough. He had attitude. He, he played with, with flair. He had a passion about the game. And, you know, that's one of those what-ifs where, you know, his final season at Michigan State, I really thought they were going to win it all that year. Um, but they, they struggled against zone defense. Uh, they played a team that got really, really hot from three. Before you know it, they're out in the first round of the tournament. Um, that was – broke my heart. Broke my heart that year. Same, dude. So you're good on number – that was your number four or number three? <clears throat> that was my number four. Okay. All right. Now moving on to my number three. I'm going to go with Miles Bridges. Now – yeah. okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, the, the average person, the average fan – and I couldn't necessarily argue with him, might look at all the fanfare and the rankings that he came in with and say that he underperformed. And that might be true. But the love that he has for the university, his unwavering loyalty, and then the highlight reels that he provided, I just, he was an example of someone that I could be infuriated with of like, why can't you dribble a little bit better? But then at the same time, be like, this dude just is so happy to be on this team. Like he takes every opportunity he can to talk about like how Izzo's like a father to him and the relationship that they had. And he was a lottery pick and he came back for another year. And he says he came back for another year because he wanted to win a national championship. Now we know that that is really, really difficult to do. And maybe he didn't have the, the makeup to be a go-to guy on a national championship team. And I don't know if this makes sense, but like, I think he could be the best player on a national championship team. But I don't know if he could be the go-to guy at the end of every shot clock and end of game right. situation. And that's like kind of what we needed him to be a lot of times. But also, like Cassius wasn't the player that he was yet. I don't know if he ever would have been. Uh, in the shadow of Miles, but they came in the same recruiting class. And I just loved watching him play. He was smooth. He could hit the three. And he would, at least once a game, was just throwing down like a highlight dunk. I just, 
I thought that he had just a, a pure heart and was so excited to be at Michigan State, which if you follow Michigan State athletics, you know that more often than not, we miss out on recruits like Miles Bridges because Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina comes calling. Duke. And, and Duke, Duke especially. And um, there's been instances where Izzo's literally recruited players starting in eighth grade. They've been committed to Michigan State until their senior year, and they end up flipping to a team like Duke or, or Kansas. And Miles was someone that stayed – Stayed and kept his word, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I just loved loved watching him play. I loved his attitude. And I love watching him in the NBA. I think he's going to be an NBA player for a long time. Yeah, I think he's going to carve out a really nice NBA career. What's the ceiling on his NBA career? I'm not quite sure. Um, but I think, you know, he's got a, um, a solid base as far as how he shoots the basketball. Athletically, he's going to be able to defend, rebound, do all those other things. So he'll have a spot in the league for a long time, I think. Anything else you want to mention with Miles? That's it. That was a good one. That was a good one. All right. I got another good one for you. It's my number three. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the player that really made me a Michigan State Spartan fan. Really, when he was playing, when Michigan State was playing, I was glued to the TV. And it's Sean Respert. Wow. Sean Respert, one of the greatest, probably the greatest shooter that's ever played at Michigan State, the greatest scorer that's ever played at Michigan State. NABC Player of the Year, his senior year. Listen to this. 2,531 career points. Yes. Unbelievable. And when he graduated, I'm not sure what it is now, but it was second all-time in the Big Ten behind Calvert Chain. I mean, this dude was a bucket. I think he averaged 25 a game his senior year. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to put this in perspective for you. This is mid in early 90s, okay? Mid and early 90s. Now, you could literally like take someone's arm off and maybe they're gonna call foul when when the game was being played back then, right? Like you, you were, it was like football, people are running around, they're like tackling each other and then you get to shoot it, right? And he was coming off screens. He was pulling up. He, he never looked like he was going full speed. He never looked like he was um, even had to necessarily like try that hard. And it's not because he wasn't, right? You don't get that, that good unless you're going all, all out. But he was just that smooth that it looked that, it looked that way. Um, it was – he was the guy. Um, and then the fun fact that I'd learned in, in researching for him is he was the player. You'll appreciate this, Taylor. He was the player that started out the seniors kissing the logo at center court during their final game. How Love cool that. is that? Love that. How cool is that? And so that's been going on now for over 20 years because of something that, that he started or in his last game. He goes – he kisses the logo at half court 
And that's one of like the cool things about, you know, when we watch even this past game um, with that Michigan State played against Ohio State on senior night, um, all the guys doing that. And so he started that, which makes me like him even more than I already did. Um, yeah, I almost want to bump him up to, to number two now. Um, but his game was a game that I tried to copy a little bit as far as how he played. Um, his ability to come off screens and shoot the ball was unparalleled. He played a lot like um, he had like some Glenn Rice, some Reggie Miller, some Rip Hamilton came after him kind of in his game. And um, although he, he did have an NBA career, he got stomach cancer and um, just kind of a, he was a first round eighth pick in the draft. He got stomach cancer and kind of, you know, I think he almost, he almost died. And um, so kind of a unique story. And, uh, you know, if he didn't have some, all those kind of health battles, I think he would have had an even better NBA career. Um, but was a guy when you were playing who could single-handedly swing the momentum of a game by shooting the three ball. And again, I want to emphasize to our younger listeners, the three ball wasn't the three ball like it is today. Okay, when you when you came down and you hit threes and you were taking deep jumpers, players weren't doing that back then. Okay, he was playing a style of play that hardly anybody in the country was playing. That's one of the reasons why I love him so much. There's so many players that just come down, bomb threes. That's a big part of the the analytics and how coaches want their team to play now. With Sean Respert, he had Eric Snow on his team. I don't even think Eric Snow was allowed to shoot a jump shot, okay? It was like, get the ball to, to Sean, let him shoot the three. Everybody else set a bunch of screens for him. He, he's our guy. And um, it was just, he was a player that was playing so much differently than everybody else in the country that when he was on, you were like, who is this guy? Who, who is this guy? How's he doing this? And nobody else plays like that. Uh, I could go on and on about him. So much fun to watch. He, he was one of the reasons that I gravitated towards Michigan State basketball. Excellent choice, man. That That is a bucket load of points, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. That insane is wild. So you had thrown him in your top three because he – he was there at the beginning. He was there for the inception of your, your love for Michigan State. Um, my next guy, in my, I'm going to put two in my, as my number two, but I'll start with, with Mateen Cleaves. So he was that guy for me. When they won the national championship, I was 10 years old and didn't yet understand the ins and outs of the game. But I had heard that there was this guy that Izzo loved. He was tough kid from Flint was, was, would kill you, would step on your throat, but he would smile every once in a while too. And I, I just loved that. And yeah, then great smile. huge smile. And it's weird that like some of the greatest point guards of Michigan state are all credited with smiling at some point during magic Johnson, Cleves, Cassius, like when they were rolling, they were smiling. Um, I like that. So Mateen, um, obviously he won the national championship. They beat Florida, I think in that, in that finals. 
Mike Miller. Mike Florida. Miller on that team. That was a good team. Udonis Haslam. And we had a DVD of that tournament run. And you mentioned the Mo Pete backdoor. I mean, that was always timely. It seemed like they would pull that out when they needed a big play. And so my, my memory is fuzzy. I think they played Wisconsin in the final four that year. Is that true? Uh, I don't remember the final four game. Okay. I know they beat Iowa state who had a guy named Marcus Pfizer. I think that was in the elite eight and Marcus Pfizer, who was uh, a high level first round pick. And I remember being scared that they might lose to Marcus Pfizer's mm-hmm. Iowa state team. Um, yeah, go, go ahead. And I just remember watching that final four DVD. It might've been a VHS tape. I think it was. And seeing the the timely plays that he would make when you've got injured and then was still able to play. Now, luckily we had Mo Pete that I think proved his worth at that time. It ended up being more of a pro prospect than Cleves was, which isn't surprising now, but at the time it kind of was. And I just, that's where it all started. I was like, this is so cool. We got this guy from, from Flint calls himself a member of the Flintstones and him and Izzo are forever linked because he brought Izzo his, his first and only championship. I'm still thinking that Izzo will get another one, um, but it has taken longer than I thought. So I, I love Cleves for that. Um, my number, my other number two is Denzel Valentine. So he had a special, special senior season. He won, he might've won one of the national player of the year awards. I don't know how many there are now. Uh, but Buddy Heal also had yeah. a great year. There's a lot of awards. And I thought he deserved it over Buddy Healed because I'm biased. But what a <laughs> what a cool senior year. As a as a fan of college basketball, you don't get to watch players flirt with triple doubles very often. Yeah, good point. He was doing that frequently. And he had some some games his senior year where we were playing Kansas in an early season game. And like I said, those aren't games that Michigan state usually wins And Denzel flexed that game. I think he had over 30 points. He might've had a triple double. I think he, I think that he did. I think he had a triple double against Kansas early in that. And that's when you were like, all right, this dude, this dude's for real. He could hit the three. He could run the break. And he was just tall enough to dunk on you every once in a while too. He was six, (laughs) four. And he was a local kid. He's from Lansing. You know, I love the storylines just as much as the play on the court. So to be a local kid and end up being one of the top players in Michigan state history. I love that. Uh, but unfortunately he'll always forever be linked with that loss against middle Tennessee too. Yeah. I mean, total, I hate to say it, but I think that's one of the biggest upsets in college basketball history. Um, it is because Michigan state was a two seed. I think, they'll get forgotten by most people besides the Spartan fans out there who will always remember that, um, especially with that Virginia loss a couple of years ago. But, man, I thought we were going to win it all that year. Um, as you mentioned, Valentine had certain games against high-level teams where he's like, no, I'm taking this game over. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. We're winning this game one way or another. I'm going to make the plays, and we're going to win. And he did that against really high level, high level teams. And so it was just kind of a shock to see, see him go down. Yep. Your turn, man. 
Mateen Cleaves, man. Mateen Cleaves, my, my, my number two. Um, and I think that you mentioned a lot of the same reasons why I like Mateen Cleaves already. Again, Michigan guy, local guy, Flint. Um, Flintstones, that whole team. Like Mateen Cleaves, in a sense, was that whole group. You know, they were one and the same. And, uh, and then, obviously, the point guard relationship – that he had with Izzo um, and him kind of starting. I feel like that relationship that Mateen and, and the Flintstones had with Izzo, I think they made Izzo have some kind of way with all of the players that came thereafter because there's so many players that you're like, man, Izzo is really ripping into them. And then whether it's that night or a month later or years later, you're hearing the players just praise Izzo and how much he loves them. And uh, I think that that specific couple years with Mateen Cleaves and, and those guys probably made Izzo in many ways the, the person that, that he is today and affected probably a lot of the ways that he coaches and relates to, to the players. I mean, we only see one side of it. We only see, you know, the the heat, the fire that Izzo coaches with, but we don't see the other side of it. We don't see the day-to-day. These, you know, college basketball team is like family, you know, and, um, you know, the, those players wouldn't feel the way that they do about them if that was the only side of Izzo that they got all the time. Uh, he obviously, like, really, really cares for, for those guys, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, I also got a chance to play against Mateen Cleaves one time, and um, I just did want to say the best passer I've ever seen. Unbelievable passer. It was insane playing against him. There were some times where I was guarding him. There were some times where I was guarding somebody else. But he would bring the basketball up the court, and it, it was an open run, right? It was So there weren't, weren't any coaches, weren't any plays. But he's bringing the basketball up court. He's dribbling with his right hand, and he's just pointing and telling everybody what to do with his left hand. And he's just – he's talking. He's talking. I've never played against somebody who talked as much as Mateen Cleaves. And so he's talking to the guys, talking to the guys, talking to the guys while he's keeping the dribble with his right hand. And all of a sudden, off the dribble, one-handed, he would just throw a rope to somebody, and it would be a bucket or a wide-open shot. And I'm like, how did he do that? How did he – like one hand talking the whole time, seeing everything and then would throw basically a perfect pass every single time. It was, it was crazy to see and and play against a guy who was doing something that I've never experienced. And I played with some guys who could really pass the ball, but none of them could hold a candle to Mateen Cleaves. And I didn't realize it watching him on TV, knew he was a great passer. Like you knew he was an elite passer. Don't get me wrong. But then to be able to be on the court with him and he's throwing these passes and you're seeing it firsthand, you're like, wow, how did he make that pass? Like, I don't know how he saw that, made it right place, right time, everything. And he usually just did it one handed with his right hand off the dribble, which made it even, even crazier. Um, It's pretty cool. I forgot that you had played against him. That was like some of my favorite parts of you coming home 
for periods during the summer growing up is that you'd have these stories like, Oh yeah, I played uh, in an open run against Mateen Cleaves or yeah, Chris Kamen was at the open gym. Hey, you remember you told me you almost caught an oop over Chris Kamen. Would that be, it would have been one of the highlights of my life. Yeah. So yeah. it just, so take me through it. Uh, so this was in Grand Rapids men's league in Grand Rapids. And, um, we were playing, our college team was playing against the pro, the pro team. So in Grand Rapids, there's, uh, maybe the best men's league in, in West Michigan, one of the best leagues in, in Michigan. And, uh, we're playing against the overseas pro and, and some pro teams. And Chris Kamen is on that team. And so it's, it's basically a team of all professional athletes. And then Chris Kamen joins that team. He's playing for the Clippers at that time. And he was coming off, I think, his best season in the NBA. I don't know if he was an all-star or if he was going to be an all-star. But Chris Kamen was, like, one of the best centers in the NBA at this time when I was playing against him. And uh, so I've had a chance to play against him numerous times uh, after that. But we're coming down on a 2 on on one fast break. I think we got a steal and he's trailing back. He hadn't made it all the way up the court yet. And my friend, my teammate, Jeff Carlson throws me an alley-oop. And so he throws me an alley-oop and I go up and I catch with two hands. And as I'm, as I'm up in the air, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm going to dunk it on Chris came like <laughs> this is, you know, I'm like, this is going through, through my, I'm through my mind. But Chris came is like seven foot one, like I said, really big dude. And so he jumps up with like his, his right hand. I jump up, I catch it with two. Okay. And I'm going to dunk it over top of him, but his right hand is kind of in the middle and his right hand just kind of grazes the ball enough so that I, I get the ball and I, I got to go through Cayman. Right. So I can't just like catch it and put it in the rim. I need to like go through his hand. And so I catch it with two and I try to put it in one so I can get some more strength on it. But he grazes, he grazes. I wish people, I wish it was on videos because I'm acting it out to you. But came in kind of grazes the bottom of the ball with his fingertips. And so as I go to dunk it through with my right hand, it pops off the back of the rim and like goes flying back to, to the three-point line. And it was, it was, it was my favorite dunk miss of all time. I wish I would have made the dunk so bad, but just it, it was, it surprised everybody at the game, everybody at the gym. Cause I'm six, two white boy, right. Came in a seven foot one NBA <laughs> all-star. And all of a sudden, you know, Jeff knows like my teammates know I can dunk, but like, this is grand rapids. There's people from all over coming in to watch these games. And so out of nowhere, they're like, they're throwing an alley-oop over Chris Kamen and I catch the basketball Boom. And even though I missed it, everybody was like, Oh my, like nobody could believe it. They were like, dang. And I was like, dang too. Cause I was like, if I would have made that, I probably would have just left. I would probably take my Jersey off, throw it. I'm out of here. I'm retired. I'm done. Um, but I missed the dunk. Dude, that is a, that's an honorable miss though, man. When you can bone it off the back of the rim, that means that, um, there was some power behind it. That's I fired it off the back of the rim because he grazed the, he grazed the ball. And so I think it kind of pushed, it pushed the basketball 
you know, just change it a little bit from it going down into the hoop into across the hoop and hitting the back of the rim and firing back. But uh, yeah, that's what happened. I love that, man. Some people are just wishing that they'd been able to dunk uncontested and here you are rehashing uh, a miss over a, an all-star center. So you're in, you're in good standing. All yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll take it better enough. Right. All right. Back to the show. Back to the All show. Right. So number one for me, it's everybody's probably already guessed it, right? Cassius Winston fresh off the end of his senior season. <clears throat> it was a, it was a, um, a slow build for me. Izzo didn't really give him the keys much his freshman year. We still had Tum Tum, which I think Izzo would have been better off just handing the keys over at that point. If he could do it over again, I think he would. He would have. Excuse me. So you didn't really get the true Cassius. Freshman year, maybe he wasn't totally physically ready anyway. He was kind of a turnstile on defense. Sophomore year, you saw some progression and like, oh, this dude is that preeminent passer that Izzo claimed. Izzo has called him the best passer in high school he'd ever seen. And then junior year, it everything fell into place. And Big Ten Player of the Year was, was a rare player that when there was under five seconds on the shot clock and he would come back and get the ball from a big or another wing at the top of the key, you like breathed a sigh of relief before he even went to make a play because he had earned so much trust with you as a fan. So was within that five seconds, was he going to hit a step back three? Maybe. Was he going to hit a floater down the middle of the lane? Maybe. Was he going to pass it to a wide open teammate in the corner? Maybe. Or was he going to do a swooping up and under layup? Maybe. He had all these options, all these things that he could do and he just made you feel so comfortable. And if you watched enough of him, then you, you just knew like he could make any type of play. He wasn't limited to a jump shot or to just getting to the rim. He was, there was a variety of options. They were only available to a player like him. There wasn't that many options available to many players in the college game like that. And then just, of course, like his personal story. So the fact that he could have went to Harvard, instead he, he came to Michigan State and had this illustrious career. He was threatening to be a 2,000-point scorer and a 1,000-point assist player. Now, he would have had to have come out, come out of the gate really, really hot to make that happen during this year. And we know what he happened with his... He would have got the 2,000 points easy. He would have got that, yep. Yep. He would have had to have, um, I think to have gotten it this year, like at the start of the season, he was going to have to average like nine assists a game or something. So that's yeah. pretty tough to do. Uh, but yeah. it wouldn't have been out they of the They would have made a deep run. If they would have made it, if, you know, if they would have played two, three games in the tournament, you know, made a deep run in March Madness. I mean, he, he maybe got close to like nine fifty. Right. You know, maybe. Yeah. It, everything would have had to have gone right for it to happen. But to, to be threatening that is pretty impressive. And then we know what happened with his brother and for him to play like hours after that is just to me is like incredible. I don't think people realize um, 
like how impressive that is. So when you think about losing someone that close to you, you might say like, well, yeah, of course he's going to play like that's his sanctuary. But the difference is it was his sanctuary because he spent a lot of time there with his brother. So like, it would be that way for me. Like if I lost one of my brothers and basketball was the thing that we did together, it might actually hurt a little bit more to go play basketball. Yeah, exactly. And he did it. He did it anyway. And he fought through that season. He spoke to the Michigan state crowd a couple of days after that and just thanked them for their support. So I think that on a list of top five players, but also top five favorite players, he would have been right up there in the, in the top two or three, regardless of list. Yep. And had they won a national championship this year, I personally would have put him over Mateen Cleaves, but I'm not sure if that's because I didn't get to watch Mateen at the same level that I watched. No, I would have put, put him above Mateen um, player wise as mm-hmm. well. Um, Mateen was obviously a way better athlete, stronger, bigger, faster, um, much better defender. Mateen was a lockdown, lockdown defender. Um, but as far as Winston being able to do everything, he could score on his own so many times. Um, Mateen was a really good ball screen player, but Winston's one of the best I've ever seen as far as being able to get so many guys buckets. Um, and I just said everything about how crazy it was playing against Mateen Cleaves and how good a passer he was. Um, but Winston could make something out of nothing. And as you mentioned, his ability to get the basketball with five or 10 seconds left on the shot clock, you're like, I don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to wind up being a pretty good shot. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's exactly why he's, he's my number one favorite player and it is going to take a lot to supplant him as the number one. I don't know if I'll ever see another player, you know, a lot can happen, but for the rest of my life that I've enjoyed watching as much as Cassius in a Spartan uniform. And also he has the accolades too. So he's a two time second team, all American and was very close to being a two time first team, all American. I think were it not for John Morant who might end up going down in history as one of the great point guards based on his trajectory right now, he would have been first team last year and they were kind of interchangeable. I think, Last year, I would have taken Cassius over John Morant. And then this year, he put up pedestrian numbers for a large part of the season, and he's still second team. So you can, you can, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility had his brother not passed away that he would have been first team. Yeah. And, you know, some of that voting goes into, takes place a little after some of the tournaments that are going on. So assuming they make a run, you know, it's going to be, going to be easy for him to move up that wise. But, you know, statistically, let me throw some numbers out for you because as you mentioned, it's not just you enjoy watching him play. It's not just he went through these, these struggles and challenges. 46.1% from the field, 44.8% from three, which is insane. Insane. Free throw percentage, 844 374 rebounds, 125 steals. As we talked about, 890 assists and then 1,969 points 
in 139 games. All those numbers are going up if they're allowed, you know, if, if they can play in the tournament, the Big Ten tournament, national tournament, um, you know, as is, they're just crazy, crazy statistics to, again, show that this guy had it all, right? You want to you back how great he was up with stats? That's easy to do. You want to back how great he was up with, with the eye test? Easy to do. And then most importantly, you want to back what he did up with the fact that the team won. Easy to do, right? He's a winner. He's a flat-out winner, right? Going to the Final Four last season, having a chance to do it again this season, the Big Ten League titles, the Big Ten tournament. I mean, th- this guy just flat out knows how to play, knows how to win. There's not a team in the country that wouldn't want him on their team. And one of the reasons that you loved him even more was because he, he's playing out there and doesn't look like he should be able to do it, right? Yeah. He's like six feet tall. He's not real strong, not real explosive, okay? But the skill level's off the charts, the IQ level's off the charts, the ability for him to, even though he was kind of quiet, you'd still tell he was a really good communicator because guys always were on the same page. But when he was out there, they just kind of had a feel and a comfort level. And that's what I try to tell all the point guards that we work with. Like, you are the head of the snake. And if you're going high and low emotionally, now everyone else is, is going to be high and low emotionally. And now we're not going to play as well. But as a point guard, if you can be steady, if you can be dependable, now everybody else is going to get more comfortable in the role that they need to have for the team. And he embodied that. Like he embodied that. There's so much that he does that I watch. And I want to say, I want to teach some of those small intangible things to the players that, that we're working with, right? His, his ability to change speed, his ability to create separation off of the dribble, right? Those are some things that, that we can see, even though they're hard to do. And then some of those intangible things, as far as you can tell the relationships that, that he has, the communication that he has that are maybe a little bit harder to do. Um, but, but you can pick up on those things. And the thing about some of those intangibles is they don't take talent, right? They take heart. They take work ethic, desire. And, um, you know, we can all try to be better in our life in certain areas by trying to have a lot of the characteristics that Cassius Winston had out on the basketball court. And you throw all of those things in the pot, and that's why he's, he's my all-time Michigan State player surpassing Mateen Cleaves this basketball season. Definitely, man. He's got the off the court, the on the court, the skill, and the intangibles. And, um, man, I'm going to – dude, I'm going to miss watching him play so much. Um, yeah. Not yeah. exciting in the way of, like you said, like overwhelming athleticism, but putting just, like, weird English on the ball – getting time four point plays, like all those things that he would do by far my favorite player to watch. And the, the shooting is unbelievable. I think last year or sophomore year, he shot over 50% for a full season from three. And that's, that's crazy. If that's true, I have to look it's that so up. So difficult. Now you might, I mean, shoot, he's a 45% shooter for his career. So yeah, you know, I would think I haven't looked at his full, 
season by season stats. But you think about the threes that he shot. He's not wide open, towing up the three-point line. He's shooting in transition. He's coming off of a ball screen. He's shooting with multiple defenders, closing out on him late, getting some four-point plays, as you mentioned. And he's shooting from deep. He's shooting from well beyond the three-point line, off the catch and off the dribble. Um, he had a bunch of different step-back variations. My favorite one was his behind-the-back step-back. Mm-hmm. So few people can do a behind-the-back step-back. But he had that hard dribble drive with the right hand. He would go left foot stop, right foot stop, and snap the basketball behind his back. And then he would go left foot step back. And as he's picking the basketball up, he would step back with his right foot and then pop the three. That is such a hard shot to do. And he made it look so easy. He get, he got followed on quite a few of them in his career, too. Yeah, and yeah he, did. The, he did. He hit the shot. Um, where do you think he projects in the pros? I think for him, it's going to depend so much on what team drafts him. They can, they can um, magnify and use his skill set, or they can ruin him depending on what franchise he goes to. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right on the money there. I think he has the ability to be a solid backup point guard at the NBA level just because his IQ is so high and his skill level is so high. Um, really tough to play solid defense, especially – you know, if you're a point guard in the NBA with limited size, it's nearly impossible to stay in front of guys as it is, especially with all the, you know, the lack of physicality that defenders are able to to use right now. Um, but at the same time, at the NBA level, he's going to be a player that you can put out on the court and you can't leave him, right? So if he's if he's on a team that has a really good wing or two guard that can score a lot where Winston is allowed to be able to kind of set the table for the team, run the offense, put the other players and scorers in a position to be successful and then feed off of them. I think that'd be a perfect fit for him, right? A team where he has the ability to run the show, but not necessarily close all the plays. He was able to do that at the college level. I think he's going to be able to do that at the NBA level but I do think he can keep everybody organized, feed the best players, make them look really good. And then if it does come back to him, he can knock down the three. He's got a little enough shiftiness that he's going to be able to try to create something again with a limited shot clock. It it should have some value throwing the fact that he's going to be a really good team player. I think regardless of what his role is on the team, I would hope that a lot of teams would want to have a guy like him on their team and they give him a chance to, to do so at the next level. Yeah. I think that a lot of it is dependent on where he goes. So if he goes to a team like the Knicks, that's not good or the bulls, that might not be good. Um, But dude, I could see him being plugged in like right now on a team like the Celtics where they could use like a backup point guard and he's going to have, a person like Tatum or Brown on the wing anyway, like I could see him like this year being able to go in and give them like 15 to 20 playoff minutes a game. Um, I think he will be limited defensively, but I I don't know, man. I think, I think that he could carve out a, a pretty decent career. And if he's around when the Pistons have a late pick, maybe they go for a hometown boy like That'd that cool. and uh, yeah. get some ticket sales up. 
while they're yeah, at it. Definitely sell some tickets. Absolutely. Sure. Sell some tickets for sure. Well, what's, uh, what's the next thing, the last thing we want to talk about? So the last thing that we want to talk about today is our number one what if in Michigan State Spartans, not necessarily history, but since we've been watching the team, where if this one thing would have happened, the what if, it's something that we all talk about in sports, if this would have happened, if that would have happened, does it really matter? No. Is it fun to talk about? Yes. For sure. You want me Why don't to go, you first? go first? All right. Yeah, go ahead. All right. I got to make these quick because I got a couple of them and I they keep appearing in my head. So yesterday I mentioned to you that I wanted to talk about this. And the, the thing I had in mind was when Appling got injured. I think it was his senior year. Forgot about he, that. He right. injured his wrist and he was never the same after that. And that year, I remember coming back from my internship I had talked my supervisor into letting me out early because they were playing at nine o'clock at night against Kentucky. And those are games Michigan state usually loses. This was different. They had Appling, they had Payne, they had Dawson, they had some, some athletes on that squad and they, they tore them, them boys up, those Kentucky boys. And I remember thinking like, Whoa, this could be a little different this year. Like maybe we have the same, consistent Michigan state toughness, but we also have the athletes to go with it. Appling was playing like the best point guard in America. He was a first team all American at about the midway point of the season. And he had a wrist injury. And from there he lost like large portions of his confidence. He could not shoot. He wasn't a great shooter anyway, um, but he was getting better. And the, and the thing I remember from that is he, he stopped taking stopped taking threes. Like he just stopped taking it because his wrists are so bad. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So it just changed the way that the game, that the game looked. You had a player who super athletic, super confident, and all of a sudden just was like a shell of himself. Now, maybe that injury was really bad. Maybe it was more of a mental thing too. I don't really know, but I just remember that being a huge what if. The next one is last year with Langford, he was playing like a first team, all big 10 player. He was our leading scorer in a lot of big games. He dropped 30 against Texas in an early season game. He was the one other guy on our team that could get a, get a shot off the dribble. And then when he went down, we figured out ways to still be successful, but it didn't really show up again, how bad we needed him until that loss to Texas tech. I think we should have won the national championship last year. I think if Langford was healthy, we would have. We missed him in that game. We missed having that secondary shot creator. Winston was hobbling by that time because he was playing so many minutes and had terrible tendonitis. So that's a big what if for me. But I think the number one is when Kalen Lucas tore his Achilles in the tournament in 2010. He was the Big Ten Player of the Year that year. Tore his Achilles. We went on to win, I think, two more games after that because Corey Lucius filled in really well. And because he filled in so well, I think we forget like what Kalen Lucas meant to that team. No, he was he was a star, he was a star. And I think that you know we could have won the national championship that year had he not tore his Achilles, and then he would have went on to the pros. And we had a really weird season after that because he didn't. Um, go to the pros. He was trying to get healthy again. And maybe the 
the makeup of that team wasn't a typical Izzo team. That's the number one. What if the dude was, the dude was good. And I think that had he not blown out his Achilles, he would have probably had a pretty decent NBA career too. Cause he had, he had quickness, quickness on quickness. Yeah. Super quick elite quickness. Um, so I just had one down. Those are all good ones, but, but it was your number two was the Keith Langford injury. And, and the, the reason that I have that as my number one is he went from being their leading scorer and a, a solid defensive player to not playing at all. And then they were two games away from winning the national title. So it's not like the player got injury and we'll, we would have seen what happened. We saw what happened even without him. The unbelievable game beating Duke in the Elite Eight. Um, you're like, oh my gosh, these guys can win it. And they're losing their, you know, 1B basically. Like mm-hmm. Winston was their 1A, but those guys were a tandem. And uh, Langford was that creator strong, had a phenomenal pull-up jump shot, phenomenal mid-range game. So when all else failed, you could give it to two guys at the end of a shot clock. And one of the most valuable things anytime you're playing within a shot clock is when the clock's winding down, the plays go out the window, you got to create. And we had two of the best creators in very different ways, which was one of the reasons that made Michigan State so good last year was you had Winston, very unorthodox, as far as how he would, he would create because of his lack of size and quickness. And then you had Langford, who had the best mid-range game I've seen in recent years at the college basketball level. And players are so trained now to shoot a three or get to the paint that if you can knock down the mid-range game, it's money. And he was a, a mid-range assassin. And that's the type of shot, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, that a lot of times you get at the end of the shot clock, right? Where you, you got to just create enough separation. A lot of times that's driving hard to the basket, getting the defender to slide and slightly lean back. And then you stop on a dime and pull up. And so seeing that one need in that Texas Tech game, where it's like we've already knocked out Duke. A lot of teams, uh, people had them winning the national title. Texas Tech's defense was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And we're still right there. We're still right there. A make here, a play there. We end up winning the game. And then you're like, oh, yeah, our leading scorer isn't even playing in this game. And his style of play would have been the perfect way to combat what Texas Tech was doing. Because he was that guy on the wing that after you run, McQuaid threw some threes and Texas Tech does a great job. And, and they defended McQuaid really well. They did a phenomenal job on icing the ball screens, right? Keeping the ball handler on the same side of the court, not letting them go back to the middle, right? So they, they hurt us there. We're still in the game. Oh, but we got Langford. And Langford can, can shake somebody and just create just enough separation to knock down that shot. And, and I think, in my opinion, that was the matchup that would have been harder, Right, not the matchup against Virginia. Virginia playing a pack line defense, really protecting the paint, playing more um, between you and the basket, honest defense there instead of you know the the defense that Texas Tech play and Virginia play. We talk about it sometime, but 
they're completely different. They're phenomenal lockdown defenses, but the rules and how to play them are completely different. And I just thought Michigan State's offense matched up so much better against Virginia's defense because you can run a lot more of your sets against Virginia's defense, whereas the style that Texas Tech plays throws you out a lot of awful lot of your sets just because the way that they're icing a lot of the ball screens and pushing you down towards the baseline, keeping you on the, the sideline. And so what Virginia did in the national title game to lock down so many teams throughout the course of the season, in my mind, I was thinking, this is a recipe for Izzo. Izzo loves calling sets every single, single time. And Izzo is one of the few co- coaches that has the ability to see what defenders are doing, how they're playing, what certain players are doing. And then he call a play out specifically at the right point in time to get the shot that he wants. Not many coaches can see that and do it on the fly. Izzo is one of the few that can do that. Long way of answering, (laughs) (laughs) a really long way of that Langford injury was devastating. And then you throw in the fact that he came back to play this year and you're like, all right, sweet, he's going to be healthy. And then we quickly found out, no, he's not. And we wind up still winning the Big Ten Championship. Obviously, we'll never know what would have happened moving forward. But you're looking at a chance to win one, even back-to-back national titles. I know it's a stretch for anybody, but honestly, to me, as a Michigan State fan, it doesn't seem that far-fetched. No, it doesn't. And uh, with all these what-ifs, I think that had they not gone the direction they did, we're looking at five or six championships for his own, man. <laughs> um, to be him and, him and Coach K is the best ever, or wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. What ifs? What ifs are, are fun, but they're also painful. And yeah. I'm thinking even on the Michigan side, like that block that Trey Burke had on, uh, what was his last name? Sosa? Peyton? Mm, Silvia? Yes. Oh, what the heck? Sil- was his Silva? Silva, Peyton Siva. Something like that. Yeah, Siva. Um, That block that Trey Burke had and they called a foul. I mean, every team has these what ifs. The Chris Um, Weber timeout. Chris Weber timeout. I mean, yeah, if we're just talking in state, like there's so many what ifs. And I'm not even taking into account any injuries for Michigan that I might be missing that have happened throughout their history. But happens to everybody. Uh, this This was a fun conversation. Do you have anything else you want to leave the listeners with or should we get out of here? Hey, so we're recording this on March 27th, right? And so um, I do want to say if, if you guys want free basketball instruction, if you're a parent and you have a kid who is, is you need to keep them busy. The weather's starting to get a little bit nicer in most places. Um, send me an email, contact at kramerbasketball.com. I'll give you a free membership through April 11th of all our videos, all of our workouts, so you can play basketball. Um, Listen, there's a lot of people that are, are having a, a rough time right now. I'm one of them. I'm, my, my business is, is a service business. Um, and I'm out, of a, I'm out of a job in a sense until everything clears out like a lot of people, a lot of people are. Um, but at the same time, I know I have two kids at home and they're usually in daycare and at school and now they're home all day. And um, it's, it's very difficult to, to keep them busy, to keep them occupied, to do what you need to do. So I'm talking specifically to the, to the parents. If you have a child, fifth grade through college, 
in their in their home and they want to work on their game, you got to hoop in the backyard, send me an email, contact at currentbasketball.com. I'll give you free access to our online training program. You'll, you'll still have it for about two weeks. Uh, it's a great way to work on your game, get better on your own while you have some time. There's your quarantine, like you and I are. Yep. Yeah, we're trying to figure out ways to stay sane and productive and all the things that – struggling with a lot of the same things that, that everybody else is. But that doesn't minimize – any one person's struggle just because a lot of people are experiencing it at, at the same time. So as listeners, I would just encourage you to just find ways to uh, be helpful as well. What can you do for somebody else that's going to make this time easier now and also uh, in the future difficulties that unfortunately await many people. So thank you guys for listening. We do appreciate you. Have a great day.